Hysterical people, I'm so excited to welcome to the podcast today the Grandmothers for Reproductive Rights, GER. Elaine Richard, who's uh, in charge of education with GER, and Sarah Thompson, who's one of the board members and recent storytellers, to join. So, welcome to the Hysterical Society Feminist Podcast, ladies. Thank you for joining me. Glad to be here. Wonderful. So Elaine, um, why don't I start with you and have you introduce yourself and just a little bit more about GRR, G-R-R exclamation point. Well, thanks for having us again. This is really fun and um, a great opportunity to talk about um, what's going on in the abortion movement today and also in the past. I'm a member of Grandmothers for Reproductive Rights or GRR. I'm currently the education coordinator GER was started in about 2013 when a group of like-minded grandmothers and elders got together because they were concerned about the political landscape of what was going on in the country and what was happening with abortion rights, reproductive health care. And they realized that collectively grandmothers and elders are a very, very powerful group of people. And they wanted to gather that strength and help this movement move forward. I joined in 2017. And I tell people a lot of times I felt like I found my people because here were older women. We had lived our lives very fully. We have children. We love our children. We love and adore our grandchildren. And we are still very passionate about social issues. The front one for me being reproductive rights and justice, really focusing on abortions. And what I came to understand and and continue to grow is that way, way back in the 1970s and as things were moving, I I really was like, I'm pro-choice and I'm, you know, pro-choice here, here. Well, what I realize now is that being pro-choice is not enough. We have to be pro-abortion. You can't have choice if you don't have access. You know, what good is the choice if if I, I'm in Maine, I live in central Maine, but if I'm way up in northern Maine and I want to access an abortion in central Maine and I have to drive four hours to get to where I need to go and I don't have a car or I can't leave my work and I don't have childcare and I I don't have and I don't have what good is that that choice so what I've learned through through my work with girls and through our collaboration with other people is that it's really about access so GER has evolved into a real pro-abortion culture change type of organization. And we work intergenerationally through the lens of reproductive justice to assure that sexual and reproductive rights for present and future generations. We try to leverage the um, status of grandmothers and elders as sources of truth and safety for all people accessing accurate information and shame-free support. We recognize and we shout as loud and as much as we can that abortion is freedom because when people have access to abortions where they live and when they 
can get them when they need them without shame, stigma, or fear of criminalization and bans, people will thrive, families will thrive, and communities will thrive. And there'll be places that we want to live. So GERD today has two main focuses. We focus on pre-row abortion stories and trying to connect the dots between then and now. And we also have an initiative called Row or Reproductive Options Exist, which is where we tell the truth and get people agitated about anti-abortion centers, more popularly known as crisis pregnancy centers. That's sort of it in a nutshell. As you can probably tell, this is a passion that's been burning inside of me for my, my whole life. In 1979, I worked at an abortion clinic in New Orleans. And then in 2017, I realized the access to abortion care was not any better, sometimes even worse than what it was back then. I mean, we've come a long way, which we will talk about, but oh, it all makes me very angry and fired up to work. So the stories are really important, which is why I'm so glad we were able to connect with Sarah who is one of our storytellers. So, Sarah? Well, thank you. I I found Gurr, I think, on social media. But um, long before I found Gurr, I was, when I retired in 2012, I'm a school librarian. And I'm in Arkansas, and we are a very red state. And so, but when I retired, I knew that I wanted to get involved in reproductive health care work, specifically abortion access. And at that time, in 2012, there was access to abortion in the state of Arkansas. I got involved with several other organizations, but I found GER on, uh, on social media, and it was probably about 2016 or 17, I had sent them a donation and and bought a fuzzy hat to wear that I wore to a Arkansas Coalition for Reproductive Justice rally that we had. Um, and I think that was probably 2019. I, I wear my yellow hat when I go, go speak. And um, I really got involved when the emails came out about looking for pre-row abortion stories. When uh, I was 17, I needed an abortion, and of course, it wasn't accessible to me in Arkansas, and so I had to travel to New York, realizing that now people have to travel again like I had to travel. I felt like my story had some relevance to the people who are, are seeking abortion care now and um, wanted to be a part of that movement, and so Gurr has coached um, a group of, of women about storytelling and made it accessible for us. And, and they have set me up with a couple of really interesting interviews. So that's how I got involved, was doing a couple of interviews. Um, and then just by being a pest and always being there, whenever they said, we need somebody to fill in the blank. And so finally, I got this wonderful invitation to join their board. And I think that I can uh, represent the grandmothers, uh, although disclaimer, I do not have any grandchildren, but I do have five great nieces and nephews, and I get a lot of vicarious grandparenting in with them. 
they invited me and I felt like this was something that I wanted to spend some time with and make it a real priority because it was an opportunity that I felt like it was maybe, you know, this would be my big uh, project for the continuation of my retirement years. Sarah, you bring up something really important, I think, for and about GER is that it's grandmothers and elders and intergenerational younger generations. And what we find is that when we're working with other people, whether they're our peers or if they're younger people and stuff, people are finding their voice, a voice that they maybe had to tamp down for many, many years because of shame and stigma. And now people are finding that voice and those voices just blossom and help other people find their voices too. So it's just, I think at first we weren't sure how the intergenerational work would go, but we could not do our work as grandmothers and elders for reproductive rights if we didn't have the younger generations working alongside us. Yeah, I've had younger women since I was willing to tell my story come to me and say, you're the first person I've ever told about this. And they still are carrying that, you know, that shame and I've never told anybody and wow, you're so brave. And and I think, you know, well, I'm really not, I'm retired and now I can tell everybody whatever I want to tell them and how I feel about it because I'm not working for anybody anymore. But it it has it's been so you know just validating to me to be able to give that person an opportunity to say something personal because I told my story. Yeah, it's important. I think it personalizes it, uh, destigmatizes it, removes shame potentially. Especially, yeah, all generations have suffered with the stigma of abortion. And I love grr, and it makes me angry. <laughs> I want to say grr, yeah, because the whole issue makes me angry that we even have to fight now post-Roe. I'm just so proud of the fact that grr exists. You guys have been out there even longer than I've been out there, to be honest, worried about this cause. Um, I got frustrated when I saw saw the tipping of the Supreme Court after um, Amy Comey Barrett, and I just saw it coming, and I knew, oh no, this is going to be bad. I did the math, and I was like, wait a minute, how old are people now who had to have pre-Roe era abortions in, you know, the early 70s or even earlier than that? And, you know, we all got educated on the Janes and, you know, all of this activism that happened back in those days. But uh, yeah, the the women who suffered and actually had to go through it are the ones that I thought, wow, they're still alive. If we could just capture them and get them to really explain and and share these horrible stories that have been kind of bottled up and in the shadows for 50 years, that that would help the cause. And it, it absolutely has. You guys have led the charge and have been already doing that in you know, years past. And I got turned on to GER around January of this year. You you had done a big webinar push with sharing your stories uh, for the 50-year anniversary of what would have been the 50-year anniversary. Uh, I think the fact that you're doing this intergenerational coaching in a way to really help get out there and do the work is really, really impactful. So it's wonderful. 
it's important too because things things are this are sort of the same and at the same time very different pre row there was no medication abortion pre row there was no self managed abortion pre row there was no telemedicine i mean we didn't even have cell phones back then to communicate with each other or do these like podcast things so there was a lot different i mean we're still concerned about criminalization we're still very, very concerned about bans everywhere. And that's one of the reasons why, in addition to our storytelling, we do our anti-abortion center work because that's like here and now and, you know, feet on feet on the ground type of work. My situation was not as dangerous as it was for women in the late 60s when there were no states that had access at all, or very few. And so in 71, I had no access in Arkansas, obviously, but I was able, because I had supportive parents who were financially in a place to make it happen, because going from Arkansas to New York City and headed straight to a hospital, was kind of an intimidating thing. And I feel now I realize how fortunate I was that I had that opportunity to make that decision. And my parents supported me on that because I wouldn't be sitting here if that had not been the way that it played out in 1971. You think about how now people have to travel again to get abortions, especially if they're in a, a totally banned state and surrounded by provider deserts. There are places that are even trying to put up bans so that if you're traveling and they catch you traveling through their city, you can get arrested, you know, and people are still struggling to pay for abortions. I mean, we're a lot luckier in certain states, insurances have to cover them and, and there are abortion funds now we still don't treat it as 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 healthcare which is what it is yeah i mean i think they're i guess they're finally getting some of them through but they're still blocking the uh military appointments uh because of the abortion issue tuberville i guess yeah. he's from alabama not arkansas i can't blame you <laughs> oh but but he's a he's a southerner and he's a coach you know and so he's a coach so he knows everything and that that has been extremely irritating to me and I have contacted my senator of course who is also a Republican to urge him to get on this guy and say look you're making it difficult for the the whole country to be as secure as it needs to be because you're not letting the Congress take care of its business and do what's right for the security of the nation. And I just would love to punch him in the nose. Get in line. Yeah, for sure. Well, especially in the South, all of the Southern states have a lot of, you know, pro-military and conservative leadership. But that's why these people have to, like you did, have to travel multiple states to get out into a, an, an area where they can have access. So whether they're flying or driving, especially deep in 
Florida, I guess they still have 15 weeks potential. Um, There's still some access in Florida. Virginia just had um, some good news in the, it wasn't a direct abortion win, but it was um, the right legislature, I think, has won in Virginia. So hopefully they'll be able to protect abortion access there. And Ohio, of course, had their big win this week. Woo, Ohio! One by one, you know, these states are finally showing the Republicans that, you know, they can't just do this. You can't just strip away the rights of more than half of the people in the United States of America and, and get away with it and just go, oh, they're just going to be fine in a few months. Interesting about Ohio is that the way the vote went on the constitutional amendment showed that it's not just Democrats who are supporting rights to abortion, that Republican people were voting for that as well. So it's an across the board type of thing. Although very conservative leaning Republicans are hoping that the anti-abortion centers are like their front line to stopping abortion. So we know that that, you know, there's a tip, but Ohio is something that we need to celebrate. And then tighten back up and keep moving because we cannot be complacent about wins that we get because they we need more of them. And I think by seeing what happened in Ohio, that there will be other states that feel empowered perhaps to make an attempt to codify abortion access rights in, in their states. Kansas last year yes. did a referendum to maintain the constitutional right to an abortion in the state of Kansas. And that was approved by 59% of the voters. And, and Kansas is not what you would consider to be necessarily a really um, progressive state. And so it's fairly conservative as well. The dominoes are starting to fall, I think. And there'll be others that will come now that there are some who've, who've already um, been able to take it to the people and let them make the decision. Yeah, when abortion is on the ballot, it wins, or anti-abortion is on the ballot, it loses. So abortion is winning, I think it's now seven for seven every time it's actually on the ballot and the people are able to vote on it, seven different states. So, I mean, some of them are obvious, like California, but others, to your point, Kansas, Kentucky even, which is now struggling with the legislature who's trying to basically say, nope, voters, you don't get to make this call and they're going to like overrule it. So there's some stuff going on in Kentucky. But Kansas, Kentucky, Ohio is basically red. Michigan is purple. Montana is, I guess, red. They also codified abortion rights. I mean, the people are speaking and will continue. I think more states will jump on the bandwagon and put it on the ballot. That's it can be done. It it's it's possible. And and watching other states make it happen will give people some confidence to attempt in some of the states like Arkansas. It's been talked about. I'm all in favor of it, but some people say, well, it's just not viable because of the money, because it would cost so much, but never say never. There's so much it's money not- in these elections. So why can't we revert some of the money for the candidates to these issues? Let's yeah. saw that play out in Maine this um, past spring and summer, because we had a lot of uh, pro-abortion bills before the legislature. And for weeks, the anti-abortion movement would just pack the state house with people who wouldn't leave. They they would stay through the night. They would sing songs. They would bombard the legislators as they walked down, you know, into the chambers. And we finally reached out and said, 
what can we do? And they were like, please just show up. And we showed up, there were 30 of us at least with our yellow bright shirts standing there, 30, 50 people against the whole state house full of people. And it gave so much support and courage to the legislators that they did do what was right. And they did pass the bills that needed to be passed. Maine now is one of, I think it's either five or seven, I can't remember, states with no gestational cap on abortions. You know, we have insurances that will pay for abortions. We we are in a really good spot legislatively, though we are a state that needs to eventually get it codified into the constitution as well. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes the power of a few people who know that they are right and that truth is on our side and we get that truth out there and we can get things done. And, you know, like Sarah in Arkansas, if they want to do a, a a constitutional amendment, it will happen, you know? And I think if in Maine, if we want to do it, it will happen. Just have to, hmm. So how can our listeners get involved? So you said they don't have to be a grandma. They can join GER and it's in all 50 states or essentially you're expanding out of Maine. We do things nationally. Like we have people in Oregon who we do things with. We have Sarah in Arkansas. We just did a teaching in Illinois. We did a teaching in New York. We have actually uh, board members who are from Ohio. We are everywhere. And because we can do things remotely, like podcasts or Zoom meetings, we can bring our educational events anywhere. We can go anywhere and do that. We have a website. Also have a Facebook page and on Instagram. Actually, we have a big Facebook page and then we have different groups in the Facebook page. Like if there's anyone from Maine listening, we have a Maine group in the big Facebook page. And that's where we post like all the, we post pictures of our pop-ups every week. We have how-tos, we have how to do a demonstration, how to do a teaching, how to write letters to the editor. We can walk people through just about anything they want to do to bring this truth to power about abortion rights, abortion freedom, and making the world a better place. Absolutely. I love it. This is great. Thank you for featuring um, the work that we're doing. And it's just, we're just beginning. Thank you so much. And um, I do encourage people to take a look at our Facebook page, our Instagram, our website to listen to some of the videos of women who have experiences from the 1960s and 70s, and they're not so very different from what people are experiencing now. And it's for all ages. And I will ditto everything that Sarah said, and also encourage people when you're on, I know on Facebook and probably Instagram too, when you see that we're having virtual events, you can join from anywhere. So we, every other month, we do what we call a coffee and chat where someone, we bring in speakers, we talk about very pertinent topics to the abortion movement and everyone is welcome to join. So thank you for giving us voice today and for letting us bring our passion to the screen and uh, talk with you about this. And it's always lovely to talk with Sarah on this because it's just fun to share. I love it. Well, thanks you guys again. And thank you everybody who's listening out there. Uh, We're going to give you lots of links and good ideas to take action. Uh, What a great conversation I had with the grandmothers for reproductive rights. So much so that I am splitting it into two parts again. 
So make sure you come back for part two of our discussion where we focus on the anti-abortion centers tactics and the Reproductive Options Exist program within GER, which helps to expose the deceitful tactics that these anti-abortion centers promote and propagate. And we also discuss how just talking about abortion more regularly can help end the stigma that's been associated and plaguing our society for so many decades. So don't forget to stay hysterical, everybody. We are the universe. the world.